The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Before we begin, I recorded this live on Periscope. And then after I finished, I watched it and I realized one of the most important pieces of advice I could give you, I left out. And that's this. Take advice from parents who've been really successful as parents. And some of the people who I consider my mentors are people who have amazingly successful, smart, kind, courteous, self-sufficient kids. And so props to my close friends who I consider my parenting role models. You know who you are. One invaluable piece of advice that we've received from friends of ours who've got great kids is you don't have to tell your kids everything you did when you were a kid because the last thing you want them to do is to throw that argument back in your face. Well, you did this and you turned out okay. Now, the reason why I'm saying this as a warning to you is parents, this is an episode I don't think you should listen to with your kids. And I know a lot of you listen to The Shalene Show with your kids in the car or you know, you you don't mind them listening to the episodes. I don't think they should listen to this episode. I'm going to talk about some things I did as a kid that I'm not too proud of. And I turned out okay. Sure. <laughs> I guess it depends on who you ask. But it's a miracle. It truly is. And I don't want my stories to become ammunition. I just really think that this is an episode for adults only. But I'll leave that decision up to you. Because as I've said, This is not my advice. This is just me sharing best practices. All right, here we go. Welcome to The Shalene Show. Shalene is a New York Times bestselling author, celebrity fitness trainer, and obsessed with helping you live your dream life. Hey there, I'm Shalene Johnson, and thanks so much for joining me on this episode of The Shalene Show. Today, we are talking about parenting. And by the way, I'm not done yet, so... I guess the jury's still out, and that's why I'm kind of nervous to do this episode, but all I'm doing is sharing best practices. I'm certainly not proclaiming to be an expert or to have this all figured out, but if we don't help each other out, how can we get better? I hope you agree. Thank you so much for tuning in. If for some reason you don't have kids, I still think you're going to find this interesting because you're going to hear some aha moments about your own circumstances growing up and maybe how it's helped to shape you how it's made you stronger, how it's helped you to know what you don't want to do. And it's helped you to understand that you turned out amazing, perhaps despite some not so great parents. And for those of you who are new parents, let me just say this. It goes by so fast. Everybody says that and it feels like when they're in diapers, it's forever, but it really does go by so fast. So this episode is devoted to my parents, to Brett's parents, and to our kids who have been amazing at least thus far. All right, off to the show. I am by no means an expert. I don't proclaim to have this figured out. I do not profess to have perfect kids. Trust me, trust and believe they're not perfect kids. And I definitely don't want you to think that it's all parenting. 
Because you can be the world's best parent in the whole flipping world. And I think you would probably agree there are some kids, it's in their DNA to be great or in their DNA to be mini monsters. Now, I I do think we have a huge responsibility to do our best. I mean, we have an obligation once we have kids to do our best. But you and I both know people who are like amazing parents and they've got like one good kid and one monster kid or like, you know, five monsters and one who's like amazing. Like it's DNA too. And you also probably know people who pretty much took care of themselves. Like were raised in the foster care system or didn't have parents and they really had to fend for themselves and they're amazing people and they were actually amazing kids. So I do believe that there's a huge amount of DNA involved in this. But for that small teeny tiny fraction that we have a little bit of influence over, I think we are obligated to do our best. I hope that you agree. Now, the first thing I want to tell you or reiterate, I should say, I want to reiterate that I'm not an expert and I'm a student. Now, my parents have been married for 48 or 49 years. Brett's parents have been married for like 50 years. And I think both of our parents would probably brag on their kids and say, yeah, we did a really good job. And Brett and I have spent many years comparing notes. And I certainly don't think my parents were perfect or that his parents were perfect. But I think we've taken this job very, very Seriously, we have two kids, one's 18, one's 15, about to be 16, and knock on wood, so far, so good. Whenever I get nervous about something, my go-to is knowledge. It gives me confidence. So the moment I found out I was pregnant, I started buying all the books. Like I literally went to the bookstore back when there were bookstores and I bought every single book possible. And then every single week I bought more books and I read every book possible. And one of the reasons why I did that is I remember my parents when I was a kid, always reading books about parenting. And so I decided to do the same thing. I bought many of the books that they did. And like, I was just like, I've cleared my shelf of books that I've, you know, I'm not going to reference. And I do that all the time. But I was just just realizing, like, I still have parenting books in here. Like, it's called Healthy Sleep Habits, Healthy Child, Happy Child. Like, this is one of the first books that I bought 18 years ago. Isn't that funny? And then, of course, I didn't want to have a child with an, an eating problem. So I bought books about children and and eating. And of course, rich kid, smart kid. Yeah. These are just some of them. Now we have a girl and a boy. We have siblings. Oh my God. What do we do? We have siblings. I know I'll buy a book on it. Siblings without rivalries. Right. And then I was like, okay, now we've got a daughter and Brett's only ever had brothers and he's only around football players. Like, what does he know about girls? And he was like so loud and like aggressive with her. He'd be like, come here. little." I'm like, she's a baby. You're scaring her. She's a little tiny flower. And so I felt like I had to always talk to him like, okay, the things that you can say to boys, you can't say to girls right? Like there's some certain things like you can't say to girls, but you can say to boys, you say it to a girl and you'll ruin her life forever. And so like we had to go over those rules and then we had to go over those rules with her brother. We're like, listen, son, your sister, you are partly responsible for how she views herself, like no pressure. But if you put her down, if you talk about her body, if you don't show her respect, then that's what she'll come to expect from other people. So no pressure, but just so you know, you have a tremendous influence on her. And so then Brett bought this book, which he gives to everybody and he reads it all the time. And it's called Strong Fathers, Strong Daughters. Okay. Then 
oh, I didn't want her to grow up to be a mean girl. So there's, you know, mean girls, meaner women, building moral intelligence. These are just some of the books that I've read. And then this one I just recently bought because my son's about to go away to college. It's called A Thousand and One Things Every Teen Should Know Before They Leave Home. So this is the one I'm currently reading. And so far, I've done a pretty good job. I just want to share with you best practices. I repeat, these are best practices. They're just kind of what we've been doing. But I want to share with you some of the things that so far seem to be working. Unless my kids are lying to me. And I don't think they are because I'm a total ninja mom. And by that, I mean, I know everything. I know things they don't know I know. I know things I shouldn't know, but I know. Because I had parents who were very, very trusting. So my parents were incredibly trusting, but I got away with bloody murder. It is a miracle that I am alive today considering the things I did because they trusted me. You know, so when parents are always like, you should trust your child. I'm like, I nearly died every single week because my parents trusted me. They should not have trusted me. They thought I made good decisions. They thought I was conscientious. They thought that I was responsible. They thought that I was a good kid, but you know what I was? I was a smooth talker. And you know what else I was? I was a dumb teenager with this thought that I would never die. I don't even know how I'm alive today. I've told my husband stories. He's like, are you kidding me? I'm like, no, I swear to God, I did these things. And he's like, what did your parents say? I'm like, I didn't tell them. He's like, didn't they follow up? I'm like, no, they believed me. So that's why I'm not a very trusting parent, to be honest. Like, I just think you have to know if your kids are pretty sharp. They're teens and they're going to try to be little ninjas and you got to try to outsmart them. So there we go. I trust them, but I won't be outsmarted. That's what I'm saying. What did I do? What didn't I do? Some of the things I did very, very early drinking, smoking. I stole a car when I was 13 years old, drinking and driving when I was young. I mean, I'm just going to put it all out there. So whenever I have a girlfriend calls me and they're like, what am I going to do? I've got this, you know, my daughter just did this. I'm like, okay, may I remind you, especially my girlfriends from high school, I'm like, may I remind you what a nightmare I was. And I turned out okay, but just by the grace of God, I was that kid that the other moms would be like, oh, you're hanging around with Shaleen? I don't think that's a good idea. Actually, most of the parents, I could pull off the um, Eddie Haskell thing, like, because I was very articulate and like, you know, I was Eddie Haskell, so I could pull it off. But it's the truth. I was a kid who I had free reign because if I told my parents something, they believed it as truth. And recently, they were kind of upset when they found out some of these things. They're like, you know what? We trusted you because we would have never done those things. And we never did anything like that when we were young. So we would never thought you would have. And I'm like, but I lived in a really small town and there was kind of nothing else to do, you know? So the truth is I was a bad kid. I got terrible grades. I don't think I ever got a 3.0 ever. I hung out with the wrong kids and I lived in Michigan and all bad things happen in basements, number one. And number two is, and this is an extra added bonus, this is a tip before I get to my tip, and that's this. Be very wary of allowing your kids to hang out with friends who have older brothers and sisters. That's where you learn everything. Are you kidding me? Like, you need to be worried about the older brothers and sisters and basements. Amen, amen, amen. Why did I quit smoking? Because I wasn't like a smoker smoker. It was just like, 
you know, you're a teenager, you're stupid, you know? I was dumb, I was just stupid. But my parents believed that story. Every time I walked in the house, they're like, you smell like cigarettes. I'm like, I know, because it makes me so mad that Liz smokes. And I keep telling her, she should not smoke, mom. I keep telling her and she like doesn't even listen to me. And I'm like, Liz, you're totally gonna get lung cancer. And she doesn't even listen to me. And they're like, you, Chalene, you're a good friend. You are a good friend. You just, you keep on her. I'm like, and then when they would find cigarettes in my pocket, I'd be like, I took them from Liz. So she would stop smoking because I know it's so bad for her. And they'd be like, oh, Chalene, you're a good friend. You are a good friend. Yeah, this mom ain't buying that story. And you know what works to our advantage, mom and dad? My parents could have figured all this out if we had social media back then. You see, now your kids can say that and you can be like, oh, okay. And then you just make sure you have passwords to all there, all there, right? Like you need to know every password. If you on the phone and you're paying for the service and they have nothing to hide, well, then I need your passwords to all social media platforms. And then they forget. It's kind of like a reality TV show. I'm sure you've heard this before. But when people are on a reality TV show, there comes a time, like at first they're like on their best behavior. Trust me, a lot of what we do in parenting is because Brett was a good kid. So I want to know like, okay, how come you didn't do the things I did? And we would compare notes about parents. Not that my parents were bad parents, but we would compare notes and figure out like, okay, what's too strict? What's knowing too much? When we were growing up and we were gonna do something not so stellar, would you do? You didn't like send an email about it or post up on Facebook. You called your friend. In fact, most time you didn't even call your friend. You'd wait till you saw him at school and you'd be like, hey, does your older brother have a fake ID? I think he does. Okay, cool. Do you think he can buy for us this weekend? Like, that's how you did it, you see? But now, nobody talks to anybody in real life. Kids don't talk to each other. And they certainly don't call on the phone. They don't even know how to write notes. They don't know how to do this. So you know what they do? They document everything in writing on social media. And they're so immature, they don't realize it's all evidence and it doesn't go anywhere. Snapchat disappears, right, please. Trust me, it's all there and they document everything. They're so dumb and they take Instagram pictures while they're breaking it, not my kids, but I'm saying you see this stuff on all the time because kids have to document everything, right? They document everything. So it's like, it's perfect if you're a ninja parent, but most parents aren't paying attention and you should. Okay, so my first tip is this. My first parenting tip that I learned from my parents, Brett learned from his parents, and we have initiated it, and I can tell you, I might be bragging right now, we have never had an argument or a debate over a no. No means no. And that started on day one. We would never, ever entertain, it got worse for them if they were like, but mom, no. Because all you do when you entertain a negotiation or a debate is teach them that it's gonna take a little longer each time to get to yes, but eventually they'll get to yes. So you never negotiate ever, ever, never, ever, period. Parents who negotiate, even though you feel like you're being nice or giving into the kid, you're giving your kid what they really don't want, which is an insecure boundary. Next, your children crave stability and boundaries. 
So you better create stability by being a stable force. They want boundaries. And the reason why they keep pushing and the reason why they keep testing is they want to see how predictable your boundaries are. It's kind of like if you've ever held a bird. I know this is a great example, but I'm a bird lover. And so when you put your hand up to a bird, the bird will do this. It'll like, it'll put its claw up and a lot of people go and they pull their hand back and they kind of freak out because they think like the bird's going to be afraid. But if you just hold your hand there steady enough, the bird will press on your hand and go, okay, is this a sturdy enough branch? And then the bird will step up onto your hand. It's testing to see if, if in fact, you're going to pull your hand back or if that's sturdy enough for the bird to step up onto. Children want boundaries and they want stability, which means peace, which means calm. Next, whatever it is you want your child to grow up and be is what you need to role model. If the worst or last thing in the world you would ever want for your child is to be a screaming lunatic or a pathetic, curled up in a ball, shell of a person, then don't role model those things. Whatever it is you want your child to be, that's what you need to role model. If you don't want your child to struggle with their body image and their confidence, then stop role modeling that. If you don't want your child to be angry and defensive and bitter and loud and aggressive and irritable, then don't role model that. If you want your child to be calm and peaceful and confident and in control, then role model that. If you don't want your child to be broke and in debt and constantly worried about money and constantly believing that they won't have enough, that they're always broke, then keep telling your kids, we don't have money. Money doesn't grow on trees. What do you think? We're made of money. We don't have any money. We're broke. Say those things if that's what you want your child to be. Otherwise, if you want them to be the opposite of that, to live in abundance, to believe that there's enough, then you must role model that. That's what you must role model. Next, teach your child how to apologize. My friend, Dr. Michaela, just recently talked about this. If you're on Periscope, you've got to follow Dr. Michaela. In fact, the day that I'm recording this, she did one today about apologizing. An apology is a gift that you give yourself, and it's one of the most difficult things you can do, but it changes another person's life. It changes their day. It changes everything. So many relationships could be repaired with an apology. Do you want your child to get into a relationship with someone who wrongs them and can never apologize? Because at some point, somebody has to apologize. And what you must role model is the ability to apologize and to forgive. And you do that by apologizing to your kids. Now, just because you're the mom or just because you're the dad doesn't mean you're going to get everything right. You're not. You're going to mess up all the time. I mean, I'll never forget one time that I had, it was, oh God, chaotic, chaotic, chaotic time. Both the kids were little. Both of them were in car seats. I remember they were in the back of my car and Brock had to have been probably five and maybe Sierra was two. And I just remember that when I was in my car, I like always had to be on the phone and life was really, really chaotic then. This is in the height of stressed success. And I'll never forget that I was leaving somebody a voicemail and both the kids were making noise. They're little, they were like five and one or five and two or something. Then it was like, thank you so much. This is Shalene Johnson calling. Uh, thank you so much for your inquiry. I look forward to our meeting. You know, like one of those kind of like kind of messages. And the kids were making all kinds of noise. And even though I was like using my super calm voice, I was making these faces at them, like, you know, stop it kind of faces. 
And I hit end on the recording and then I went off, like screamed in my car at both kids. And I looked down at the phone and I realized it was still recording and my heart sank. And I thought to myself, why did my heart just sink? Is it because I yelled at my kids or is it because someone knows that I just screamed at my kids? And the answer was both. I've yelled at my kids since then, but not for my reasons. Like I have tried my hardest since that day to never yell at them again. Now what I do is I do this. I take off my hoops and I give them that look and they know you better run. I'd say probably I've yelled at my kids like five times since then. And for damn good reasons. You know, sometimes you got to get their attention, but that wasn't a good reason. That was my fault. They were being children. And what I wasn't doing was making them a priority. So I needed to apologize. And something I've learned from my good friend, Dr. Michaela, is that, you know, that damage that sometimes you worry that you're doing to your kids. You're like, oh my God, I'm really messing up my kids. If you catch yourself when you've done something wrong and you apologize to them and you don't do it with an excuse, but with an explanation so that they know you know why you were wrong. So there's a difference between saying, listen, I screamed at you guys, but you were being so loud. That's an excuse. Rather to say, I screamed at you and I lost my cool and I lost my temper and I lost control and that's wrong. And I did that because I let my stress level get too high because I was trying to do too many things at once and that's wrong and I'm gonna be better. I promise you, I'm going to be better. See, that's not an excuse. That's an explanation so that they can learn from it. And you want to teach your kids how to apologize and how to not just apologize, but explain to them that you, you get it and you're going to, you're going to change. You're going to try to be better. Next. And not everybody can do this, but if you're in a healthy marriage, even if you're not in a healthy marriage, try to make it healthier because that's what you want to role model for your kids, right? Hug your wife. Give your husband a kiss. Be affectionate with each other. Don't you want your kids to be in a loving, affectionate relationship? Well, then role model that for them. You know, I have so many friends who are like, I never saw my parents kiss or hug or do anything other than like, you know, maybe on Christmas, they'd exchange a card. And I didn't have that. I had parents who to this day, they walk in my house and they're holding hands. I'm like, Okay. And they sit on each other's laps and they're very, very affectionate and they're, you know, they've been married for like 50 years. And so I always saw that. Here's the other thing I always saw from my parents. I knew when they were arguing, but they didn't do it loud and screaming and create instability in front of us. We would know that they were fighting. I think it's okay to let your kids know that, hello, you fight in a marriage sometimes, or you argue or you disagree, but they were never screaming matches. They were never loud. They were never violent. They were never scary. They were just disagreements and they went behind closed doors and then they would come out and they wouldn't pretend like it didn't happen. One of them would say, dad and I were in a disagreement and we figured it all out and it's all good. And then we would see them be like affectionate. So in my mind, I don't know if they intended to do this, but in my mind, the message was, okay, healthy people argue and then things are like better after the argument right? And I think when people don't see discord and then there's a divorce, 
then what they assume or what the message that they learn, and I don't know this to be true for sure, but like in my mind, like with my friends whose parents divorced very young and then they divorced, you know, young in their marriages, is the message is that if you don't get along with your partner, you probably picked the wrong one and you deserve happiness. You know, when the message that, you know, we were raised in was that you're going to argue and you're going to disagree, but you also need to make up and that's normal. And there's going to be hard times and there's going to be good times. And I really remember this. I remember like my parents being very open about hard times, like talking about like, you know, your father is very depressed because this business didn't do well and we've lost our money and now he's got to go back to work and he's going to sell cars and or he's going to be a mechanic and he's he's very sad but everything's going to be okay and this has nothing to do with you but he's sad right now and I remember thinking like this is what a good marriage is it's hard and it takes work and you stick together I think it's really important that we not be afraid to show our kids what it takes to have staying power number one and number two Y'all, marriages are not fair. They're not equal. There's always one person who's doing more work. There's always one of you who's going to be more introspective and more emotionally intelligent. And there's going to be one of you who's better at money. And there's going to be one of you who does all the cooking and cleaning and resents the other one. It's never 50-50. It just isn't. It's not. And when you are really upset with your partner and you think that you are the perfect one in the relationship, step into their shoes for a second and make a list of all the things that you do that are annoying. And it's funny how it snaps you right back into reality. Okay, next. On the note of two parents and what you're role modeling is you must be a united front. There is nothing more damaging you can do than undermining the other parent. Now, That's not to say that Brett and I always agree on parenting styles or reaction, right? Like he might react differently to something than I would. And it's also not to say that we've always done this perfectly. There's been plenty of times where we've gotten in fights over that where he's like, did you have to say that in front of the kids? Like, couldn't you wait? Or I've said like, really? Like I just said, blah, blah, blah. And then you come in and you undermine me like that. Like we've had a few of those, but not often because it has been our agreement from the start to get behind each other, to be a united front. Seriously, to understand that we are better together as a team. It's not you versus me. Like we have to be better together as a united front. And the only way to do that is if we support each other, even if at times we need to have a conversation privately, which we've done plenty of times. It also means that he needs to stand up for me if one of the kids were to be disrespectful, which I swear to God, I can count maybe on one hand because it's just not tolerated by either parent. And if one of them was disrespectful to their father, then I have to stand up for him because they need to see we are a team and you can't beat us. You can't beat us even if you tried, right? And that's really essential. Can you do this with your partner? Yes, you can, but you gotta work on it because you have to understand you both have the same goal. Don't you both want your kids to turn out awesome? Okay, fine. Then if you both want your kids to turn out awesome, then we have we both have the same goal. Let's work towards it together. This is something we agreed to do very early on, and that is no matter what our kids decided to be or how they decided to turn out, we were going to support 
and embrace and highlight and rejoice in their unique differences. We agreed very early on that we would never try to make our kids us. Brett, in fact, even pulled Brock, when Brock was like obsessed with football, he pulled Brock out of football for like three years because he's like, I don't want the kid to be so engrossed in football that he misses out on something else that he loves or something else that he's good at. Like, I don't want him to feel like this is his identity or it's the only reason why I love him. I'm going to pull him out of it. And that was hard to do. Brock was very upset, but we had explained to him, you don't always have to be honest with your kids. You can give them a little white lies as long as it's in their best interest. And so we pulled him out of football for several years just to make sure it was his thing. And then it's giving them an opportunity to be good at what they want to be good at and not forcing it. There was a period of time where Sierra took hip hop dance lessons and oh, oh my heart, I was in heaven. I was like, yes, now I can finally be a stage mom and I can get her on So You Think You Can Dance. And she was so good. I'm like, oh my God, she's a child prodigy. She's a hip hop prodigy. Like I could see it, right? I'm like, she's going to be the first beatbox girl. Like she's going to be insane. And she did it for like six months. And then she's like, I don't like it. I'm like, okay, what would you like to try next? (laughs) You know, you have to let them do what they love and you've got to give them the opportunities and enjoy whatever it is they love. You've got to support that. Sierra is so completely opposite of me and I freaking love it. And you have to celebrate that in your kids, you know, and you have to remember they have different tools and different gifts and it's hard, but you cannot live your life through them. You can't control their circumstances because you can't control them once they're out into the real world. So these people who try to control everything for their kids and they try to get them into the best schools and when their kid gets a a B minus, they go into the school to talk to the teacher. What are you going to do when your kid, who's a grown adult now, gets a less than stellar job review? You're going to go in and talk to their boss? Like all you're doing is teaching the kid, you can't handle anything. I will handle it for you. And so therefore, I want you to feel inept because I'm going to handle everything for you so that your beliefs are that you can't handle anything, right? Okay, next tip, brainwash them early. Yes, this is my special little extra tip, brainwash them. So brainwash them about ethics and morality and what gets your attention. So if you're constantly talking about an athlete or so-and-so with who's got perfect grades, then all you're doing is teaching them that's what matters. If all you're doing is talking about people with wealth, you're teaching them that's all that matters. So brainwash them by talking about the qualities that you want them to have and make sure they know that's what's getting your attention. Talk about people who show kindness. Talk about people who show generosity. Talk about people who have an open heart. Talk about people who do the right things. And that's the kind of brainwashing I'm talking about. And, you know, because my parents didn't do a lot of brainwashing, like smoking, for example, I didn't want my kids to ever smoke. So I never told them, hey, I don't think you guys should smoke. But I would tell them the kids that smoke, They don't care about their teeth. They don't care about their breath. They don't care if they're hanging out with losers. You know, like I would say things like that. And I remember one time we were walking into a Barnes and Noble and there was a lady smoking a cigarette out front and my son was probably like six and he goes, mom, look, a loser. And I was like, oh, Brock, no, 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 no. She's not a loser. She just has a bad habit. And then I realized, like, okay, you got to be careful with your brainwashing, but you can convince them that certain behaviors are um, beneath them, right? And to have respect for themselves. Okay, next, teach your kids, not by telling them, but by setting up examples. 
setting up examples where they are creating evidence of their greatness. Telling your child that they're the best and that they can do anything is pointless unless you're creating evidence of it. By evidence, I mean allow them to fail and then fix it. Then they have evidence that they don't have to worry. They'll find a solution themselves. Give them evidence that they can earn their own money. Give them evidence that they can come up with ideas and be their own boss. Our kids started businesses when they were very, very young, before they were even in their teens. And they started selling, this is a silly story, but it was an example. It was their first evidence. They did a little lemonade stand out front. And then they started selling bottled waters. And at the time, Brett and I had an office in Irvine, which was in a business complex. And there were all kinds of, you know, people coming in and out, in and out. And it was during the summer months. And I took the kids to work with me one day. And I said, if you want, you can do a little lemonade stand here right in front of our doors at the business office. And they did that. And then the next day, I said, what did you find? What did you sell the most of? They're like, we didn't sell very many lemonades. We sold waters. Everyone bought waters. Cool. What do you think you could do tomorrow then that would help you make more money? And Brock came up with this idea. He's like, well, maybe we'll dress like business people. And so here are these two little munchkins dressed up like business people standing up. Like they made enough money that day to pay for most like a car payment because everyone's like, oh my God, how cute. And they were just like giving them money and not asking for money back because they were so freaking cute in these little business outfits selling waters. That wasn't to put money in their bank. That was to put evidence in their file. Evidence that if you solve a problem for people and you're creative and you're helpful, that you can take care of yourself. You can take care of yourself. We told them from the beginning, you will be buying your own cars because you're creative and smart enough to buy your own house if you want. We're gonna start working on it. We're gonna have to create a plan because you can do anything. I'm not teaching them that they can take care of themselves if we buy them a car, right? Well, that's not a gift. In fact, it's a detriment in my opinion. I don't wanna teach my kids that I will buy them things. I wanna teach them that they, if they want something, they can come up with a plan and they can earn it. And that's very powerful. I don't think either kid worries about what they're going to do or what kind of job they're gonna get. I mean, not that they know, but what they do know is that they have evidence that they can make money and support themselves, at least to some standard, on their own. And we've been filling up that evidence file through action, not through lip service. It's one thing to tell your kid, you can do anything. Give them opportunities to create evidence of that. Don't solve problems for them. Say to them, because they're kids and they don't make the best decisions, right? But you can say to them, now, if you do option A, here are the consequences. And if you do option B, these are the consequences. And you're really smart. And I think you're going to make the right decision, but I want to help you understand the consequences of both. And we would always do that with our kids. And they make the right decisions. And they make good decisions. And we've never had to tell them to study and I've already told you I was like the worst student in the world. We never had to tell them to study. We never tell them to have good grades. We never told them don't go to parties. I've never told my kids not to drink or we say, here's what happens if you do this and here's what happens if you, you can decide and they, they make good decisions. That's one of the best things my parents ever did. They would say, we support you and you, you, know, you can do this, but here are your consequences if you do this. And then once something bad does happen, they got to figure it out. Now you can help them and be an advisor, but they got to figure it out because what's your job as a parent? Your job is to raise them to not need you, right? It's true. 
your job is to raise people who are self-sufficient and kind and be their advisor. Don't be their friend necessarily. Have their best interest, but allow them to create evidence. They need to know that the solution is within them. Another tip I would give to you is to stay calm. I think the calmest person always wins in any negotiation, in any tough situation, in any argument, in any debate, in any situation, the calmest person wins, right? When you can stay calm, you can think clearly. Don't you agree? And so teach your kids to be calm by role modeling what it looks like to be calm in a scary, crazy situation. You know, and they're going to happen and they're going to happen right in front of your kids. You're going to get in a car accident with your kid. You're going to find out that there isn't uh, the money that you thought was coming in this month isn't coming in. And how you handle that, you will teach your children how to respond to adversity. And that when you stay calm, you win. You can come up with solutions. You can put pen to paper. Role model what it is you want your kids to embrace. The more upset and out of control and emotional and delirious and heightened and frantic you become, you're teaching your kids that you can't handle it, so they probably can't handle it either. Stay calm. There's a solution here. Not only is there a solution here, but there is, there's a message and a lesson to learn here. Well, lifers, thank you so much for having the time to spend with me today. I really appreciate it. Again, as I've said, I'm not perfect. You know, Brett and I are, are we're really trying to figure this out. We look to experts. We read the books. We're trying our best. We don't profess to have figured this all out. And, and to those of you who have a difficult kid, do your best. Don't give up. Don't give up on them. And I know it's hard. And I know there's some of you who heard this podcast and you probably thought to yourself, oh yeah, we'll try these things with my kid. And you might be right. As I said in the very beginning, you know, DNA is a really big part of this. We are made the way we are. But it's our responsibility as parents, I believe, to never give up on our kids. And the best way to do that is to keep trying to be a better parent. Learn read, grow, apologize, and never give up on your kids because it goes by in a snap. Thank you so much for spending this time with me, lifers. You are the bomb.com. This episode has been sponsored by CourageousConfidenceClub.com. It's a club that I've created specifically to help people who struggle with confidence and insecurities and social settings and, and just standing up for themselves, being yourself and feeling good about it. All of us could benefit from having more confidence. I'd love for you to just experience a taste of it. So please be my guest by going to shaleenjohnson.com forward slash confidence tips. Now, if you don't feel like writing that web address down or remembering to go there later, all you have to do is, while you're listening from your phone, send me a text message. The number is 949-565-4337, and that is for U.S. residents. Then just send me the word confidence, and I will send you access to this video. This video will help you to eliminate self-doubt and just feel more confident in any situation, whether it's work or personal or just your social interactions. Every one of us can benefit from having more confidence. There you'll submit your email address and I will immediately send to your inbox my latest training video. 
where I teach you step-by-step how to feel more confident in just about any social setting. I think you'll find this incredibly useful, whether it's business or personal or just in your everyday interactions. Confidence is something that makes life easier. It helps you to raise more confident, self-efficient children. It allows us to speak our mind, to stand up for ourselves, to do the things that otherwise we are paralyzed by fear, and we just allow our own thoughts to stop us. By learning how to overcome self-doubt and fear of success, you can become that confident person that others are attracted to. The person you want to be, the person you deserve to be, the person you know is inside of you. So thank you for checking out my free tools by going to shaleenjohnson.com forward slash confidence tips. 